1: Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers by
0: woodworkers. Now here are three guys who like to use a lot of words, yet say nothing at all.
1: Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 290 for January 11th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about the intimidation of getting started, 45 degrees zero clearance inserts, using a carbide bandsaw blade, and choosing a dust collector. All that and more coming up, but first, let's thank a few special folks who helped us out with donations, Jay Mahoney and James Murchison. Thank you very much, guys. We appreciate the support, and if you want to help us out too, you can just go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the right-hand side, you'll see some donation links, and you could send a few bucks our way to help us keep the light on and uh, that's always appreciated so let's just jump right into the good stuff here what's on the bench for me still being lazy guys I'm, I'm trying to get <laughs> out of the, the after post-holiday muck um, but I, I am finalizing this bed design. Uh, tomorrow I'm gonna to go pick up some lumber. And I, I don't know if either of you have, have ever built beds. Shannon, I think you built a bed before, right? Yeah. Okay. Just finished one. And when I you're I built a bed for a child. Well there or you go. Baby. That does baby count. Bed. That definitely counts. but when you're when you're building a bed and you're gonna put the plan out to the audience, the, the reality is there's a lot of different beds out there. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's like I'm going to build the one that fits my dimensions, but am I really obligated to give you like the sketchup drawing for for twin size, for full size, for <laughs> queen, for king, for eastern king, like where does it end? Uh because our our bed is a eastern king, but it's actually a sleep number bed. So I don't even need the support system. My bed is on a stand and I just need the bed and the like the headboard, footboard and rails but i'm actually going to have to build and design and put not just put it in the sketchup i feel that's kind of cheap to to just put it in the drawing and say here for all of you other people who don't have a sleep number like basically 99% of you um you know do this other thing so i'm going to have to build this extra stuff into it which May not be such a bad thing because I may not always have this bed and I I may want to, you know, go to a regular box spring and mattress someday. Uh, But, anyways, mine just kind of sits in there. So, I'm going to have to build that whole platform and just make sure this is applicable to everybody's situation. But I'm still not sure I'm going to make like SketchUp drawings for every type of bed. I want to, I would hope that people are capable of doing some math and just subtracting numbers where needed to get this thing to fit whatever size bed they've got.
0: Yeah. And that, and that's exactly how I handled it. I, I built mine was actually for my guest room. It was a queen size mm-hmm. and I went through what the standard dimensions are for, you know, th- there's a, that standard kind of a queen is always this size yeah, and King right. is this size. California King is this size, which by the way, if it's not a California King, is it an Eastern King? I'd never heard that term before. Yeah,
1: I think so. Yeah. The default oh. is it's, if you just say King, <laughs> it's Eastern King. And then if it's oh. a California King, then you've got the Perfect square shape. Nothing else. You learned something today. Yep.
0: (laughs) Anyway, I built a traditional, you know, frame style, not not a platform. I Mm -hmm. guess that's what you call that. I didn't build a platform, Um, and that was great because the only thing that changes is the rails. Everything else is exactly the same, except for the headboard. But that's all, you know, I said, Well, here are the standard dimensions and uh, heads up, it have might fun. vary slightly. Well and here's <laughs> so the other go thing, buy your mattress first.
1: <laughs> with with this particular design, the headboard is, you know, it's a very important focal point. So the bottom rail of the headboard is not super, super wide. So depending on how high the mattress and the box spring are in total, you also have another dimension where you may need to shorten or lengthen the headboard legs to allow that rail to sit where it should. Right. You know, yeah,
0: you get, they call that headboard suck. Headboard suck, really? Um, when, when you sit on the mattress and it compresses, if it can compress below the level of the headboard, it'll actually like kind of scooch under there. Okay. So then when you get off the bed, it actually gets caught on the headboard and it can either like snap back out or it can like chip the bottom of the headboard or oh, okay. like catch, like if you have long hair, imagine if your hair gets caught between the <laughs> headboard
1: and the, and you, I mean, literally it's, it's, it's a thing. It's called a headboard suck. That could happen to Matt. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he got definitely got some hair up there. Um, I thought headboard suck was the thing where my pillow just gets like somehow magically sucked in between the the mattress and the the headboard every night. That's my that's my headboard suck. It's, it's that too. I hate that. Uh, but that's it for me so far. Uh, Matt, what about you? Continue work on the sofa
2: table. I got it all pre finished and it's ready to be assembled. And I'm gonna start heading into the uh, the house and uh, editing all that uh, fun video stuff. Sweet.
1: Awesome! Uh, I can't wait to see some of that. Me too. Yeah, it's going to be good. Guilt, you guys <laughs> got to go to the guild and sign up for this thing. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it. Well, that's good, man. So, so you do you typically film the entire project and then go in and edit, or when you're doing stuff for like your YouTube channel, are you uh, sort of editing on the fly as you're building? The
2: YouTube channel, I usually do it at the end. I'll I'll record the whole thing and I'll do the video like. It ends up being like a month or two later, actually, after I finished the project. Like today, I just finally finished up the crib video, and I finished building the crib in November. Okay. So there's that. But with, this, with the guild stuff that I'm learning about this, I probably, when I do it again, I'm going to edit as I go. Yeah. I think it's going to be a lot easier.
1: It's a sizable chunk of editing to do all in one shot. <laughs> in one bite, that's kind of a pain in the butt. That's well, going to be my January. Well, cool. That sounds good. That sounds a great way, a great way to spend your January. Nothing else will be on my bench this month.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah. Sounds good. If if I made a re- new year's resolution, it would be never to do that again. Film it all <laughs> and then edit it all later. I did that a couple times last year. And, and like you said, Matt, I still have the videos to be edited. <laughs> it just
1: becomes this giant, like insurmountable, insurmountable right. amount of work. Yeah. There's a terabyte of data sitting there waiting for me to log. I'll yeah. get
0: to that later. That's pretty rough. Not going anywhere.
1: What about you, Shannon? Well,
0: I um I was actually doing a little bit of um I guess you'd call it marketing filming, putting together some new sales videos because I'm redoing my hand tool school site. So I had to um put together the lathes that I built in semester five and get them set up and everything. While I had them there, I was like I had this like nostalgic moment. because, you know, I betrayed them when I went out and bought that Barnes pedal lathe because it's the lathe that I always wanted and meanwhile (laughs) broke down the ones I built. So once I had them put back together, it was like, you know, well, look, here's a lathe and here's a lathe and here's a lathe. Let's turn on this one. Let's go turn on this one. So I I started playing around with some of the just scraps I have in the shop and I decided I'm going to go ahead and build one of those campaign stools from uh, Christopher Schwarz's campaign book. Mm -hmm. Little like three-legged thingy that folds up. Because it actually is like the perfect solution for um, like when we're up in Maine, something you can just kind of throw over your shoulder and like take down to the rocks and camp out and, you know, just – I don't know. It's just a cool thing to have around. So I uh, went ahead and ordered – that's the the funny thing is this is like the the total – Super easy project. Basically, it's turned three legs. And then now there are manufacturers of the hardware, like the triple bolt hardware. Veritas makes that now. Even though Schwartz has a thing in his book on like, how to make it yourself, Veritas has like the cool stainless steel and brass version oh, of it. Nice. Yeah, I'm getting that. <laughs> of course. And then um, Texas Heritage uh, Woodworks now does the leather seat. So, again, there's plans in Schwarz's book to make this leather thing yourself. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make one with like, you know, <laughs> hand hand hammered copper rivets and everything. So, yeah, it, it's kind of funny. It's like the ultimate outsourced project. I'm just going to turn three <laughs> sticks and then throw other people's work on top of it and call it mine.
1: <laughs> nice. That's how it's done. I built a Windsor chair like that.
0: Yeah, uh, see, I bought right. it in a box and
1: just assembled it. I'm like, man, I am a good woodworker. <laughs> yeah, Look, it's
0: traditional. Go. It's it's the piece method where you just built the one little piece and other people built the other pieces. And hey, it's how so, business is done, man. Don't yeah. be don't be ashamed. It's good. So actually I, I went ahead and I got enough to be to build three of them. Um okay. so I'm thinking that I'll end up giving one like my father in law as a gift or something and nice. I don't know, figure out the rest of it.
1: Can't beat that. Very cool. All right, let's get into what's new. Got a couple of links to share for you, stuff that either you sent to us or things we found on our own. Uh, Bob sent this in, but I didn't see this from Bob. I found it on Facebook and shared it, and oh boy. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh boy, what a response this, this gets. This made its rounds around the
0: uh, the interwebs.
1: Yeah, the, the most entertaining thing about this is not even the article. It's reading what people say in the article. So It's a New York Magazine article about Amy Schumer's new boyfriend, and the title of it is, oh, stupid ads. I just closed out an ad. What are you guys doing? Hold on. What a terrible website. Sorry. I can't see the title because I'm looking at a chick in a jacket and a goofy hat. They don't want me to actually read this article. Okay. Amy Schumer's boyfriend has the ideal boyfriend profession. What do you think her profession is, people? His profession. Sorry. Her profession is comedian. Uh, His. He I'll is a woodworker. A it's Wood Talk. He's not a host on Wood Talk. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, yeah, he's a woodworker. so it's this whole article talking about how uh, which is actually kind of funny. um there's the Allison Davis, I guess is the author talking about how he's just the ideal boyfriend and why woodworkers and a furniture maker who's <clears throat> making a living and actually succeeding at it as a custom furniture maker is just a great sort of sexy job, you know, and he's not a lawyer, he's not uh you know a doctor, but this is the thing that makes the ultimate boyfriend, which is kind of hilarious but Uh, so I have a hard time determining if it's truly honest in her opinion or if she's being a little bit tongue in cheek about it, but either way, if you're a woodworker, you want to send this to your girlfriend or your wife and let them know just how lucky they are. Uh, this, this is fuel for that. You should probably do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I did that and discovered it had no impact.
1: Yeah. It's like, um, no, that's you're, you're all right. Uh, so the (laughs) thing is a lot of people, and I guess I didn't realize this, how many people just hate, like hate Amy Schumer. Oh really? Uh, yeah i I think she's funny, but I don't really care about her politics, and I think that's the problem. <laughs> she's <clears throat> one of those outspoken uh, people, and then she just you know, boy does she get uh, raked over the coals. So yeah, we've been spending all day hiding comments on the Facebook page because it's like, look, I don't care. This wasn't posted to be political. This whole article is about this dude, you know, and why why woodworkers are great boyfriends. But the comments are just like Amy Schumer, so. Uh, we hit a lot of comments today just to keep the peace a little bit there. But uh, yeah, check it out. It's a funny article. Can I mention something kind of funny about the article? Yes, you can. In the beginning, he calls or
2: she calls me a custom furniture maker and then proceeds to call him a carpenter. Yeah. Later on in the article, I thought that was a fine tying because we just talked about that last week.
1: Yeah, that <laughs> uh, someone mentioned that in the comments, and I, I guess I didn't read that last paragraph. But you're right; that that's an interesting, <laughs> interesting transition because he's not. It does look like he's actually developing like a, a furniture line. So this is a, a furniture making woodworker.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Good to know, good to know. He's not a furniture making carpenter.
1: That's a big difference. Yeah, big so. difference. All right, you're up, Matt. All right. <clears throat> this
2: is from Chris. It says, it's an hour-long video of a violin being constructed from rough sawn blocks of wood to a concert using the violin. And I started listening, oh, I guess listening and watching this before we started uh, recording today. And wow. You guys watched this?
1: I did. Yeah. At least some yeah. of it. Super relaxing, though. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> captivating yeah. video. This is awesome.
2: It, I, was, I was sitting there watching the first few minutes of it. I'm like, there's a lot of stuff going into this. I already knew that, you know, instrument making is pretty in, involved. Yeah. But like, you don't even see that much of the process. You just see like the beautiful like glamour shots and like the transitions between what's going on. I'm like there's a lot of work that happened between this cut and this cut that I didn't yeah. see. Yeah.
0: I've always found it fascinating, the shaping that goes on inside the -hmm. the violin on the soundboard itself and the little ribs. Um, And I, you know, I would assume just from what I know of acoustics, it's like the how you shape those ribs can determine how the violin actually sounds. Yeah, that's where the
1: like artistry
0: comes into it. Right. Yeah. And I've always heard that some of that is actually like like trade secrets. Like, you know, Stradivarius built them certain ways and shaped just a certain amount. I don't know how much of that is myth or lore. I mean, physics tells me that that should be true, but how much of it, you know, gets wrapped up into like myth and story, who knows? Yeah,
1: and like the ti- does the tiniest little thing make a difference or is it just generally the shape has to be like this? Um, right. But right. I think that's yeah. where those guys make their money. You know, the experienced ones seem to to know the artistry behind it. Yeah. Did
2: you guys see the, the PBS one on the violin makers in Italy? Mm-mm. That was that was like a year ago or something, but they went through like in a lot more detail. It was like actually like I think it was sixty minutes. Did it? No, oh, okay. it was really good and like it went through the whole process. So like they're out there in the woods, like picking out the right tree. It has to be cut down at the right time of year. Oh yeah, same, I did see the right that weather. Yeah, because yeah,
0: there's an actual forest that yes, they pull, particular forest. <laughs> yeah, Maybe One
1: particular forest. We might Italy have mentioned that on them. the show. There,
0: I remember something yeah, like that. Now. That does
1: sound familiar. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds cool. It was very cool. It was.
0: Well, speaking of long videos, um, <laughs> Dan shared uh, another YouTube video, and this is actually from the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and it is almost three hours long. Um, but I got to tell you, if you're interested in the history of furniture making, history of design, different design elements of of a variety of historical styles. This is one that's worth like bookmarking or adding it to your watch list, whatever YouTube calls it, and just kind of consuming it in parts. Um, There, it's, I think, three or four different quote-unquote sessions and there's no transition between those sessions either. So don't trying to fast forward looking for like a blank spot. They just literally (laughs) cut like from one to the next and suddenly there's like, different panelists on stage with no warning whatsoever. It's kind of funny, but there there's a great thing on Duncan Fife and kind of his history and the design elements that make, a fife piece, a five piece. Um, there is a really good uh, carving example, demonstration, and actually it's Alan Breed who comes on and carves acanthus uh, leaves in the five style on a turned leg. And he actually goes through it. He carves the whole thing, which is really impressive because l- real time, I mean, he doesn't carve the whole leg, but he carves like the whole leaf. And the the technique in watching that is really fascinating. But then to to like juxtapose that, they bring up a guy, and we've we've highlighted this guy before. He does really crazy steam-bent sculptural type stuff. Mm-hmm. Right after Alan Breed carves this acanthus leaf, this guy shows up with his computer, pulls out the CAD drawing, and starts showing how now today we design stuff. And it's it's <laughs> got a little bit for everybody. Yeah. Whether you're like 18th century furniture or like modern stuff, it kind of covers it all. Um, really cool. Um I, I knew about this before Dan recommended this. So I haven't seen the whole thing yet, but I've seen a large portion of it. It's just it's um it's very intellectual. So this is this is not like, you know, go and be entertained. Uh you can learn a lot from this and it made me kind of dig into the channel a little bit more and see what else was there because there's some really, really cool stuff in here. Nice. So just check it out. The uh, carving example happens at an hour and 41 minutes, and it's about six minutes long, um, but it's a really good um, close-up look of him carving the acanthus leaves.
1: Very nice. Just make sure Yeah, got to brew yourself up a cup of uh, Earl Grey tea before you watch that. <laughs> yeah. I think. Seems appropriate. All right, let's move into our kickback and got a couple ones here concerning the shaper versus router table discussion we had, what, last week or the week before? Um, for that yeah, something like that. that. Uh, Todd <laughs> chimed in. Uh, you guys know Todd Clippinger from uh, American Craftsman Workshop. He says shapers versus router tables. I'm a big advocate of shapers over routers mounted in a table. Shapers run smoother because they're heavier. They have more real power and torque due to the larger motors rather than relying on a small motor with two times the RPM. A small three-quarter or one-horsepower shaper with a capacitor motor is better than a three-horsepower router with a universal motor. Another bonus, the larger motors run much quieter too. From an economical standpoint, you get a better value with a small shaper than buying a big router and a router table. With either one, controlling the material safely is equally critical. Don't fear the beast, get control. <laughs> now sort of on the other side of things is Dusty. He says, another word on shapers. I would love to have one, but my family has been in the woodworking trade for a long time, and two of my great uncles have lost fingers to a shaper. But every time I see the, the really nice carbide tipped pattern shaper bits, I really <laughs> want one. So, uh, yeah.
0: I guess in a lot of ways it's like a table saw, you know, like the yeah. difference between a bench top saw and a cabinet saw, how much smoother it runs and quieter and more efficiently and everything. It's pretty much the same thing.
1: Sure. Yeah. yeah. And they will take your fingers off too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, two different, two different points of view there. So thanks for that, nice. uh, Todd and Dusty.
0: Uh, this one comes from James. He says, I've got a quick thought on speeding up footage in videos. I advocate that videos be sure that they are clear that the footage is being sped up, especially in cases where the footage shows material being fed into a blade by hand, like a bandsaw or table saw work. For people that may be learning those tools, learning those tools, (laughs) sped up footage. Wow, this is worded poorly. In other words, people who don't know nice. that it's sped up may think that it actually is going that fast and then try to feed their wood that fast, which can be anywhere from exhausting, frustrating, or dangerous. Yeah. So, yeah, good good point, James. You know, yeah. we don't even think about that. You think, oh, well, obviously this is sped up. But somebody who doesn't know might uh, might realize you're supposed to feed hard maple, 12-quarter hard maple through the table saw at the rate of – you know, one foot per half a second.
1: I think if you're doing like one, like two, maybe a little bit more to two to three times speed, that might start to get sketchy. But most of the ones that I see are so fast, it's <laughs> it's like if you don't realize that, you don't it's know like how they shot that
0: maple. For the yeah, you don't off.
1: understand how the world works if you don't realize <laughs> that that person has sped this video up. There's, um, there's
0: some form of time dilation and things like that that happens at that speed.
1: Yeah, that that would be kind of scary.
2: Cool. Maybe that's why people think their saws always bogged down.
1: That's right. My saw is going really <laughs> slow. It's a good point, you know? <laughs> Boy, now that, that, I got to go check my inbox. There might be some in there that I'm like, have you watched a fast video recently? That could be the problem. It's not your blade. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, man. Okay.
2: <laughs> this is going to be very pull hard to pull it together, to read man. <laughs> pull it together. You're off. <laughs> I swear I'm not a professional. professional. Um, all right. This is from Miles. <laughs> Uh, back to the carpenter thing again. I'm often, I often am annoyed by the titles people assign to my work and to me. Um, as someone who has been a rough carpenter, finished carpenter, flooring guy, I did the ridiculously weird and hard to do fixes and installs on super high end floors for a while, and now a cabinet maker. I understand using the wrong title can be offensive. The state of rough carpentry in the U.S. nowadays is deplorable, and I absolutely hate my work as a as a woodworker is labeled as carpentry. Um, something something where a half-inch gap or multiple degrees out of square is perfectly acceptable and doing a good job can get you fired <laughs> if you aren't moving as fast as complete hacks. As much as I get that most people don't understand, the, di- as much as I don't get that most people don't understand the difference, so I will give them a break about it, but it still annoys me.
1: Hmm, that's terrible. It's one it's of those horrible. things where like you're, when you're in the, you're deep in it, it might make a difference, but to everyone else, it's like, who gives a crap? Right, you know, because it's the same thing I I confronted with uh, tattooing. I made the mistake of calling like a tattoo machine a tattoo gun, and if you want to piss off a tattoo artist, call it a (laughs) tattoo gun. Really? Yeah, it's a weird thing, and I'm just like generally
0: not a good idea to piss off the guy with the sharp needles.
1: Well, who's yeah, who's permanently putting ink into your body is actually the bigger issue. Um so, so we,
0: what is it called if it's not a tattoo gun?
1: It's a tattoo machine.
0: Tattoo machine. Oh, okay, and I he
1: specifically said he says guns shoot people. I'm an artist. That's and, not and that's not what he said, but
0: because you now have a tattoo on your right thigh that says it's A-hole? a machine
1: not a gun, jackass. No, it just says a hole. <laughs> but yeah so apparently I mean that's the thing in these little niches you get into you find that there are these things that just like when you group these people together they all get together and go yeah let's hate that thing we don't like being called that but if you're not in that circle you don't necessarily know you know so that's the thing pro tip for, true. for getting a tattoo I was, in, I was
0: in Williamsburg and I called the shoemaker a cobbler and he got very offended
1: see and you're just yeah. like well, dude what's the problem but you get into it and you realize to them it's you know it's it's a, a
0: derogatory term. it is <laughs> 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 so, so if you're an 18th century shoemaker we're sorry
1: yeah we apologize um, alright next one here is from Dusty he says happy new year is that the same Dusty didn't I do something from Dusty before yeah could be two Dustys it's a very dusty day uh, <laughs> happy new year and welcome Matt Cremona to the show in light of Andy Klein's new vice I wanted to shed some light on another vice hardware maker Len ho- Hovarter. is that how you pronounce that Hovarter? sure, it. sure. sure. Uh, it's at H O V A R T E R customvice.com. I've been lusting after one of these vices for a while, uh, but have not been able to pull the trigger on one yet. This is a a full non-threaded quick action vice with a really smart design.
0: Love the show. Take care. That is a sweet vice. And it's funny that it doesn't get more press. Yeah. Now I don't know how much they cost. It's probably, it's gotta be expensive just because it's so well made. But the thing that's awesome about it and actually with, with Andy's new vice is the capacity on the thing i know in andy in andy's video or um what's his name charlie the guy mm-hmm. who did the the demo it had like 13 inches of capacity mm-hmm. which is pretty yeah. sick yeah and i know that um lens vice is the same way that's that's cool stuff i need to look into that again
1: looks like it's if i'm i don't know if he's got multiple versions but i'm looking at one of them that's 320 bucks mm-hmm. so I, I don't I mean, know for sure compared to benchcrafted it's not Horrible. Anything is not horrible compared to (laughs) BenchCraft prices. Come on, I've got one on my bench, and I can attest to it. They are extremely expensive. It's worth it for me. Not maybe not for everybody, but dang, they are expensive.
2: All right, it feels good every time I go in the shop and spin that wheel
1: yeah I don't even have to put anything in it I just go whoop oh totally worth it
2: I literally do that I just open and close it
1: it's actually there's times where I'll go in the shop and I'm either on the phone or like someone came to visit <laughs> and I, I play with it almost like <laughs> you know like a nervous habit like playing with your hair or something like that and I just kind of spin it back and forth it's very relaxing
0: still working it needs to make a cool sound you when you spin it whoosh
1: actually mine goes money 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 <laughs> like that every time I, I spin it around Uh, All right, let's uh, go to our voicemail. (laughs) We got one here from Roberto. Hey,
0: guys, how's it going? It's been a while. This is Roberto from Illinois. My question to you guys is, is there any way I can get a true zero clearance uh, throat plate with a 45 degree angle? What I mean is, when you tilt your table saw to a 45, you're going to cut a miter, and you want zero clearance, true zero clearance. I know my table saw comes with one of those wide uh, mouth uh, tip-toe insert plates, but is there any way I can make one that when I tilt the saw at
1: 45 degrees and it has that one little slit where it's coming out of? I'm sure there's an easy solution, but for some reason I'm rocking my brain over it. Thanks, Solis. Okay, so I don't know whether Roberto's overthinking it or am I overthinking his question, but this right. seems as simple as get a you know solid insert that you haven't cut through yet tilt the blade to your 45 and bring it up through the zero clearance insert. I don't know any other way to do it if you truly want a a 45 zero clearance, but it's going to be dedicated to that. You will not be able to use that. I mean, you could, but it's not going to be zero clearance anymore if you use it at any other angle. So did I I misunderstand his question or is that as simple as what he's looking yeah, for.
0: That that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what I was thinking. And okay. I started doubting myself, going, "Yeah, yeah," because <laughs> he even said, "Can I make one?" Like,
1: "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." You're just going to have to either make one or purchase an aftermarket one for your saw, and it's going to consider it sacrificial. You're going to dedicate that, write 45 on it in case you get confused, so you don't use it for anything else. Just like if you want a specific dado insert, uh, unless you get one of those models that has the insert within the insert. Uh, that you can kind of replace that little inner piece. Most of them don't, and you'll just have to sacrifice it and and dedicate it specifically for 45 degrees, which is not a bad idea because that little tiny gap sometimes that's in the manufacturer's insert that's wider uh, can actually lead to little pieces getting stuck in there and those little bullets that that happen in the shop. So Mm -hmm. not a bad idea for 45s. All right, that's it for voicemail. Let's get into our email. Uh, First one here is from Trevor. He says, I have a really limited selection of tools. I have a table saw and miter saw, cheap jigsaw and a standard drill driver and a router. I'm nervous to go out and buy a bunch of tools, mainly because I can't afford the nicer ones and have limited space and don't know how to use most of them. I've been really looking at all the Wood Whisperer projects, but for some reason I'm nervous just to get started uh, for some stupid reason. Any advice on how to jump in? It's scary to buy a bunch of wood for a few hundred dollars and pretty much know that I'd screw it up in some of the pieces. So, I mean, this could be a major topic, but I'm going to keep it pretty simple here. Um, When you're getting started, you really, first of all, need to pick fairly simple projects. I mean, if you have an aptitude for this stuff and you're just naturally gravitating to it. Some people like to dive in head first. Uh, like Vic, we always use him as a good example with his his cradle that he built was his first project. And most people, like a lot of woodworkers, are like, wow, I've been doing this for 15 years and I couldn't build something like that. <clears throat> so Vic just has a particular aptitude for it. Um, but you know, most people just pick something you really want, something you you think you can build that's fairly simple. Don't uh, you know, don't try to build a high boy on your first project. Uh, And and, like set your expectations where they should be and then just start. Uh, The other thing is don't get expensive wood. If you put a lot of money into the wood, you shouldn't spend a few hundred dollars on your lumber. Go get some, you know, even if you I don't really like using pallets. Um, and I think you gotta know what you're doing to do that safely. But if you want to, go get some reclaimed wood, go get some you know, some pallets, uh, get cheap pine or poplar is actually my, my favorite recommendation. Go for the less expensive uh, new woods and get to know what the tools are doing. Build up your confidence using cheap materials so that the the risk isn't really there. And well, it makes and it can go, I can I just yeah, add one
0: thing real quick? How many projects I mean again, going with what you're saying, going simple and not building a high boy, yeah. There's not a lot of projects that you can't build with like 15 board feet. Yeah, I mean, a shaker side table is what like 10 board feet. Right. Um So even if you're buying like expensive walnut or mahogany, which could run you eight to nine dollars a board foot, you're under a hundred dollars. Yeah. I mean, I realize we're we're you know still money, but I'm just saying. Well, I'm, a few hundred. Anybody thinking versus- a few hundred dollars. I think that's a bit steep unless you're buying like blackwood or something.
1: Exactly. And I don't think he needs that. He could do that same project out of some poplar or pine. You know, he doesn't necessarily need to do that. Um, So ultimately, yeah, keep the project, excuse me, keep the project fairly simple and keep the materials cheap and, and it sort of lowers the bar, the barrier to entry for you. Um, and honestly, when it comes, like I had that fear too, like the first time I th- didn't go to Home Depot and went somewhere else to get my lumber, uh, and wound up getting, uh, I think it was birch for one of my first like quote unquote real projects. And yeah, well, there was that really rude girl at the desk. <laughs> that it was, you filmed that. You that did the, That video. I remember yes, that. that was the inspiration for, <laughs> really for that rude blonde chick it was that like, whatever yeah, she, yeah. The real one wasn't blonde though. She had brown hair. Uh, Nicole wouldn't dye her hair for the, uh, for the show. <laughs> some some supporter she is. I oh, uh, no. Yeah, It'd so anyway, sense. that I was actually afraid to cut into that stuff. I, I really saw it as this precious material that I had to drive an extra 15 minutes to go get, and I paid a little bit more for. Uh, but ultimately, that's like that's something you just got to build up a callus to. <laughs> like eventually, uh, you just use enough of this stuff that at this point, I kind of don't care what wood species it is or how much it costs. I know that I can execute what I'm trying to do so as long as I'm not being wasteful about it um, it doesn't matter if it's expensive wood or cheap wood I kind of it's all the same to me it's not going to pre- really present any surprises so the more you use that stuff I think the easier it is to use it and just not think of it as a valuable material just think of it as material um, but in the beginning I think it's a good idea to build up that confidence with inexpensive stuff so
2: alright yeah, Matt you up oh boy this one is from jerkface421 love that interesting <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to paraphrase this to generalize it a little bit here. Uh, But he just picked up a new 14-inch bandsaw uh, from Jet, and he is looking to upgrade a blade for it. He's been looking at the Resaw King from Laguna because the price isn't too horrible for a blade that will fit on his saw because it's not as long as the bigger uh, bandsaw. Uh, He said that he's been on some forums, and posts suggest that when a a larger wheel is almost required for a carbide-tip bandsaw blade, which doesn't make any sense. So he was hoping that we could... Maybe weigh in on that and why some people feel that way. Hmm. Well, very interesting thing with these things is the difference between a carbide bandsaw blade and your standard bandsaw blades typically is going to be the backing material. The backing material on a carbide blade is a lot thicker than the standard size blade. So you think of what's happening with a bandsaw every single time those wheels go around, that blade goes around those wheels, it's being bent and then straightened out and bent and straightened out and bent and straightened out and bent and bent and and straightened out. So, the thicker the band material is, the basically the smaller the radius that thing, that thing could be bent to and straightened out to repeatedly, you know, thousands and thousands of times as you use that blade, it decreases. So, if you're going to put a thicker band on a smaller tire, you're bending that band to a much tighter radius than it's really intended to be bent to. And then you could cause it to fail earlier. It'll develop a bunch of um, micro fractures and stress lines or whatever in there, become weaker and eventually it'll break. And you're not going to be very happy when you break your carbide bandsaw blade. Mm
1: -mm, Not that one.
2: Uh -uh, You're not going to be very happy about that. So that's kind of why that is. Um, I'm not sure how thick the Resaw Kings are. Um, Maybe talk to Laguna and see what their minimum wheel diameter is. I know on mine I have a Lennox Trimaster. I have a half-inch wide blade, so the backing material is not as thick as a three-quarter inch. Um, And I'm running that on 14-inch wheels, and I've had that blade on there for almost three years. So...
1: Okay. Well, and There's you know that. what? They, it, like, just the fact that they sell one that is That's for what I was a fourteen-inch bandsaw is, you know, kind of tells you that they they probably think it's going to be okay. Right. Well, they, in they today's litigious
0: society, you would think that they've done some testing there.
2: Yeah. it could be a sixteen-inch wheel with the same bandsaw length blade length. Yeah, I don't, don't know. Because well, they, they don't tell you what the wheel size is; they just tell you the length of the blade.
1: Right. Hmm. I think they're just generalizing, but yeah, <laughs> I guess either way that's no, a, a good point I never really thought about it that way but that makes sense
2: thank you really I'm, glad, about it that I'm glad that kind of makes sense
1: because
2: I like that like of the something to this.
1: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> thanks Matt I the, never you're really t- thought of it that way just proving your value that's all
0: oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> alright well speaking of proving value I better oh figure something out here this me. is uh, what this is from Daniel in the UK so I should say this with a bad British accent just mm. to really tick off Do that it. segment of our market no, can't do that um, <laughs> I have managed to save enough money to buy a decent table saw and planar thickness or combo Pip my better half has allowed me to have full use of our tandem ish garage and the need I'm in need of a dust collector and have a dilemma I can just afford a three horsepower unit with ten, twin collection bags what I'm what I am wanting is your opinion on What I'm wanting your opinion on is, can I get away with a one and a half horsepower unit that can be moved between the two machines, freeing up funds to purchase a Triton spindle sander or bite the bullet and get the three horsepower unit that would hopefully run static dust work for both machines and hopefully a 14-inch bandsaw in the future? Uh, Thank you. Lots of nice things you had to say about us, et cetera, et cetera. Daniel. Okay. Um, Here's the thing. Horsepower is not the whole story when it comes to dust collection. It's all about how much air you're moving. Um, And, you know, certainly a three horsepower unit is going to have the oomph to move a lot more air through there. But there's so many other things that come into that equation that can determine whether or not you're getting that CFM, that good pull. Um, Speaking from my own personal experience, I've run a one and a half horsepower for forever um <laughs> for at least 10 years and this was you know going back into when I had a bunch of power tools and things like that if you are moving the collector around and like hooking it up one machine at a time on a you know a typical flexible hose length you're going to get a really good suction out of that you know assuming that the you've got a as close to a sealed unit as po- as possible I mean depending on the table saw you have, if it's a contractor saw, there's all kinds of things you can do to seal that up, but cabinet saws, planers, things like that. um, You're going to get a really good draw out of that with just a one and a half horse collector. Where that will start to break down is if you do like have that machine on the other side of the shop and you've got a really, really long run with flexible hose that may have a bunch of kinks and turns and things like that in it. Um, I just feel like if you still have tools that you want to buy, He's I mean, he's already obviously thinking about this because he brought up a bandsaw and a spindle sander. Mm-hmm. I would think you would be better off on the lower horsepower collector and moving it back and forth. Um, that's what I did for years. And I would often think, well, maybe one day I'll plumb the shop for, you know, static uh, dust collection. And it was just never – it was never really a big deal because I kept thinking, well, you know, if I ever move shops – I don't want to be like the guy Mark and have to like plumb his shop four times <laughs> with static duct work. I never did. So that. I just moved the machine around. But at the same time, I'm in a one car garage and I have that um, flexible hose stuff from Rockler, the dust right hose that like extends out really, really far and then mm-hmm. goes zoop back up to really short. That works great. Um, planers produce a lot of chips, but they also like projectile produce them. So you don't really need to worry too much about the CFM. You just need to hook up a hose up to catch it, frankly. Uh, table saw, you got to worry about the fine dust, but that's more about getting the collection right at the at the source.
1: Yeah, you know, which if most you table dust saws get wrong anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Very good point. So, you know,
0: it, having a three horsepower collector is not going to make a difference if your table saw isn't collecting dust properly. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with the spindle sander. If you're not collecting right at the source, it doesn't matter whether it's 20 horsepower or one horsepower. So I think you're better off saving the money and buying more tools, and you can always upgrade your dust collector later on in the future. And if all else fails, and you should do this anyway, wear a respirator. It's all about personal dust collection, right? Yeah. Personal dust collection, personal safety protection, whatever that stuff is called. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Personal Personal protective
0: equipment. Yes, that that thing, what you said. (laughs) Yeah. To me, I just, I've never been the guy that says, I'm going to spend a lot of money on my dust collection. And that doesn't mean that I don't care about dust collection I've been perfectly fine you know going back into my power tool days with a one and a half horsepower collector
1: but the other thing too is if he's eventually going to end up with a much more you know well outfitted shop and wanting this sort of ducted design what he knows about the woodworking machines and the dust collection will be greater those yeah let's say it takes a few years for him to accumulate those tools he'll know a lot more about it. And I think making that three horsepower purchase and saying this is the end all be all, you may find that that's not going to even meet your needs for a fully ducted system, uh, depending right. on what you want to do. So trying to buy that and sort of you know say, oh, this is going to be the thing I'm going to use forever, you might realize later that you're, you have to sell that one anyway because now you want this yeah. other thing that's even more powerful. Yeah, uh, and go to a
0: cyclone or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So
1: I think buying that now, I think you're right. The, the one and a half horsepower mobile unit's probably the safest choice for until he learns more about what he needs and wants in his shop. And
0: I got to tell you, as attractive as twin bag sound, that's that's uh, that can be dangerous because <laughs> yeah. then it's like, oh, I don't need to I don't need to empty that. And then you got to empty two bags at the same time. And that is my least favorite job in the shop is emptying the dust collector to the point where, like, that's probably why I got into hand tools because I just didn't want to empty the collector anymore.
1: It's not so a very I just fun pull out a hand plane. Yeah, that is not a fun process. I mean, even when I just have to empty the cyclone, I hate that. I just yeah. try to ask someone else to come over and do it. Do me a favor, please. My neighbors, they don't like me very much. All right. Well, that just about does it for us. Uh, If you want to support the show, you can head to woodtalkshow.com and look over in a side column for the donation links and any little bit that you can send our way helps keep the show going. You can head to the Wood Whisperer store and get yourself a Wood Talk t-shirt. That's tww Store. Dot com, and you could do something as simple as going into iTunes and looking us up and leaving us a nice review, uh, just like Sandhill Woodworks and Jeremiah did. Uh, Sandhill Woodworks says, "You guys hit another one out of the park. Very cool. I listen while I wake up drinking my coffee." Nice, Bob. Uh, Jeremiah Schwanger says, uh, "Rub a dub dub, three woodworkers in a tub." <laughs> this is where it gets a little, little <laughs> bit aggressive. Jeremiah, Awkward. he said, "Yeah." These are not our words Still better than Shop Talk Live And that makes me smile Even with a big (laughs) magazine company behind them Shop Talk Live will always be number two Uh, You know I'm going to have to come to their defense They're nice guys I like those guys We actually just like poking fun at them uh, But it's a very friendly thing And they're very professional over there Uh, I think they do a good job But you know obviously we do it better So (laughs) Pass the soap yeah so sorry sorry about that Um, uh now it's even more awkward (laughs) yeah now it's really awkward all right Shannon why don't you give him the contact info and we'll get out of here
0: all right I'm not gonna pretend that that doesn't make me a little bit sad when he says that
1: Eh, because it's not Matt yeah I could send it to Matt if you want him to do it could send it to Matt that make you feel a little bit better
0: but I've been actually secretly jonesing for this job my entire time on wood talk so no
1: you can't have it well I don't know if you realize it but this is your promotion (laughs) <laughs> you, you get to read this stuff now.
0: This is my raise. You get yeah. to do more work. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, so if you have comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you have several different ways to contact us. You can leave a voicemail on Skype, just like Roberto did. Um, he's your daddy. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 or use our fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. And, of course, you can leave a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page and make it as political as you want. We'll delete you no matter what you say. Yes. Um, If you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, find them over at woodtalkshow.com. And, of course, don't forget to check out... All of us individually in a tub or not in a tub at <laughs> woodwhisper.com, rub-dub-dub.
1: renaissancewoodworker.com, and mattcremona.com. Very nice. Oh, <laughs> I can't imagine sharing a tub with you guys. New channel art, what do you think? That would be scary. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Amy Schumer for president, and we'll catch you next time.
2: <laughs> See, ya. <laughs> See ya. See ya.